and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords. This is the 472nd show of ROI, and our guest for today is Dr. Sam Jackson, Assistant Professor in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University of Albany. And we're going to be talking about Oath Keepers, Patriotism and the Edge of Violence in a Right-Wing Anti-Government Group. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. The show's theme song is Kayla's Theme, written and performed by Mark Sapsepital. And our producer and engineer, as always, is Dave Baker. So to begin, welcome to the show, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, we are very excited. This is a very timely topic. So the first segment is called Farouk Dinarin, and our goal is just to give the listeners a little background on today's subject. So can you start us off with some basic information on who the Oath Keepers are and how they got started? Sure. Oath Keepers is an organization that I describe as um, an anti-government extremist organization that is part of what I refer to as the patriot slash militia movement within the far right in the U.S. The organization formally launched um, on April 19th, 2009, um, and they've been around now for 13 years, um, really operating from two closely related ideas. The first is that government in America is either tyrannical now or is rapidly becoming tyrannical. And the second related idea is that those that the group considers to be patriots should be ready to resist that tyrannical government, perhaps even with the use of violence. Okay, so I'm trying to put this in some historical context. We are all very much aware of Timothy McVeigh and kind of that militia movement or that that end of days sort of movement that 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 developed. Um, is this an outgrowth of that, or is this something very different from those folks in the 80s, 90s, early 2000s? We can definitely see some uh, historical. Um precursors, if you like, or or definitely historical phenomena that Oath Keepers is related to. It gets a little bit tricky trying to parse some of this stuff out, though, because there are um, different ideological uh, clusters, if you like, within the far right in the U.S., um, and they overlap in ways that sort of make our lives a little bit more difficult when we're trying to understand this scene. And McVeigh is particularly confusing because he sits at some of those intersections. So a group like Oath Keepers, um, they they emphatically say over and over again that they are not a racist organization. Um, They actually went through the trouble of filing organization bylaws with the Secretary of State for uh, Nevada back in the day. And one uh, one item in their bylaws is that anyone who'd ever been part of a racist organization was not allowed to join Oath Keepers. It's more complicated than that, but for the moment, we can we can easily say that Oath Keepers is not organized around a perceived racial identity or a perceived threat to that racial identity. There are other parts of the far right, though, and I think this is what probably comes to most people's heads when they hear far right. Um, these are people who are organized in public life by some sort of perceived racial identity and threat, a perceived threat to that racial identity. So think the alt-right, think um, the Ku Klux Klan, think neo-Nazis, all of those folks. Now, the place where it gets complicated is you have some individuals 
who are anti-government, who believe that government is tyrannical um, and that people need to be ready to resist that tyrannical government, but are simultaneously motivated by some sort of perceived racial identity um, and, and threats to that racial identity. And that's exactly what McVeigh was. He had lots of anti-government ideas, but he was also motivated by the idea that the white race was under threat um, and, and that he needed to take action to do something about that. Okay, so we've only got about a minute and a half left of this segment. So uh, my, my question sort of is, for, for those of us who are, who are sort of trying to sort this all out um, as we go along, are, are the Oath Keepers, were, were they motivated or, or really made more prominent through um, the development of, of uh, Donald Trump and... Uh, what what exactly is is the tyranny the 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 aspects of the tyranny that they feel that that is uh, such a threat? I'm gonna pull the the stereotypical academic card and say that's complicated too. <laughs> um, so from 2009 when the group formed through 2016, it's easy to say that the animating ideas for Oath Keepers were those two closely related ideas: government is tyrannical and patriotic Americans need to resist tyranny. In 2016, with the, president, with the uh, candidacy of Donald Trump, and then later when he uh, won the presidency, things became a little more complicated because Oath Keepers maintained its anti-government stance, which you could see in things like rhetoric about the deep state and conspiracy theories about bureaucrats subverting President Trump, etc. Um, but while President Trump was president, they had an ally in the White House. Um, I think it's absolutely true that that Trump's ascendancy um, sort of changed the landscape of American politics more broadly, including how various far-right actors were able to act in public, whether they were able to plainly say what they believed or if they had to hide it, and what sorts of activities they deemed acceptable um, things like street brawls with political opponents, conspiracy theories about stolen elections, all of those good things. Okay. Well, we have a lot more to talk about, so please stay tuned for the next segment of our show. This is ROI on KALA St. Amherst University, 106.1 FM. The KALA website is your one-stop spot to find out more about your favorite radio station. Submit a public service announcement, catch up on news about KALA, and listening to any of our three stations, 885-1061 or The Stinger, is just a click away. Visit KALAFM.org. That's KALAFM.org. Hello and welcome back to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is Jay Swords, and this is the second segment of our show referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our guest for today is Dr. Sam Jackson, Assistant Professor in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University of Albany. And we're talking about Oath Keepers, Patriotism, and the Edge of Violence in a Right-Wing Anti-Government Group. Our history buffs for today's show are Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. Rick is the political scientist in the group. Why don't you start us off? 
You told the public you'd never say that again, Brett. <laughs> Jay. Uh, Sam, a good question. You mentioned the uh, starting of the the Oath Keepers. I, I, I connect Obama's uh, election to the presidency as a non-white person as a potential trigger that may have inflamed the anti-government currents that have been traditional in American political systems since our founding, if not before. Am I delusional? Did Obama's election help precipitate some of this? Yeah, I think I think that's certainly the case. I mean, it's hard to imagine that Barack Obama's uh, victory in, in 2008 had no role in the group's um, history and, and formation. Um, now, those who founded the group said that they had decided that they were going to launch it prior to Election Day in 2008. Um, if you remember, that election contest was between Barack Obama and John McCain. Um, and I think there's some credibility to that claim because uh, the president of uh, the Oath Keepers um, loathed John McCain um, for some of McCain's hawkish uh, policy ideas and, and support for various sorts of militarization um, in the war on terror. And uh, Stuart Rhodes, the president of the Oath Keepers, was, uh, he had this theme of, of saying that some of the government's powers that, that the government collected for itself during the war on terror would be used against internal dissidents. Um, and he actually believed that McCain was supporting that that tyrannical system. Um, there was a, a, U, a leaked YouTube video that showed Stuart Rhodes saying something to the effect of John McCain should be arrested on charges of treason, tried by a jury of his peers, and hung by the neck until dead when found guilty. So we have this context of the founders of the group saying that they decided to launch it before Obama was elected. Um, but I think it is absolutely true that, that the group would not have gotten the traction that it did had Obama not won that election. Okay. Brett. So I'm interested in the relationship between the Oath Keepers and the Trump administration. You have a group that philosophically is opposed to what they see as government tyranny, and, and yet they seem to be the ones cheering the loudest when the government uses its authority to dissent political speech of their opponents. How did they kind of uh, make that philosophy work for them, or do they not care that it, it doesn't seem to be internally consistent? You know, I, I don't think that they would recognize the same inconsistency that, that you and I would recognize. I mean, this is really, really stark for me. Um, from 2009 to 2016, the group liked to periodically say something along the lines of martial law is the mechanism that the tyrannical federal government will use to violate the rights of Americans. And fast forward to 2020, and um, you had Stuart Rhodes jump on his Twitter account and basically say, President Trump, declare martial law so that you can violate the rights of other Americans who oppose your administration. <laughs> Not in so many words, but it, it was pretty close to being that explicit. I think for Oath Keepers, um, they have this internal sense of what America is and what America isn't. And anything goes in their defense of what they believe America to be. Okay, so along those lines then, 
what is the the ultimate goal here? Um, is this the establishment of some sort of libertarian, um, almost anarchical state where everybody is kind of uh, on their own in terms of justice and the uh, the defense of their own rights? You know, are we talking about um, Hobbes' state of nature here, uh, mm-hmm. so to speak, or or is this a thinly veiled ploy simply to create a Putin-style um, autocracy with themselves in charge? Oh boy, I'm I'm afraid I want to use that complicated word again. Um, so so one of the complications here is um, I think it's important to make an analytical distinction between leaders within the group and rank and file members. And one of the reasons that distinction is helpful is the leaders tend to be much more ideologically cohesive and they agree with one another and they also just spend more time thinking about the issues that they care about, the problems that they identify, and and the, the sort of future or the solution that they see. And I think for many of those leaders, the, the future that they want is a sort of hyper-libertarian one. Um, they want people to be free to make decisions on their own, maybe work in small voluntary cooperatives to, to have some sort of functioning local governance structure kind of a thing but really they they some of them could be described as radical libertarians but i think it's also fair to say that there are plenty of rank and file members of the organization as well as supporters who are not formal members who maybe aren't so ideologically committed to this form of radical libertarianism who maybe even have some sort of perceived racial grievance that motivates them to join oath keepers and they find a group like Oath Keepers to be a flexible enough framework for them to pursue their grievances or to voice their grievances or whatever the case may be. And among those rank and file, you might have some people who are hyper-libertarians. You might have some people who are Christian nationalists. You might have some people who are out-and-out racist or white supremacists. And frankly, you probably have a lot of people who just haven't thought that much about it. <laughs> sure, Rick. <laughs> Sam, uh, you mentioned in the opening segment and uh, some of the answers you've given to Jay and Brett. Uh, I'm curious, in the view of the Oath Keepers, what is America? What, uh, what, what is threatened in their view of America? And maybe it's, I'm just piggybacking on Jay's question, but uh, the rank and file apparently have some view of what is under threat. Yeah. Um, what, hmm. One of the things that Oath Keepers is particularly good at, whether intentionally or not, is engaging in something that I've described as strategic ambiguity. Um, so Oath Keepers likes to refer to these really powerful ideas like tyranny and liberty and rights. And most often they don't define those terms they don't tell you how to recognize tyranny. They don't tell you how to recognize what your rights are. And so one of the arguments that they make is we all have natural rights um, that come from nature or nature's God is probably the phrase that Oath Keepers would use. Um, And when your natural rights are threatened, 
you are morally justified in using violence to defend them. But Oath Keepers doesn't tell you how to distinguish between a natural right that can be defended with violence versus a lesser right that can't be defended with violence if it's threatened. I mean, presumably such a thing exists, but they don't even explicitly say that. So what they do is they they have this, um, the way they talk about American ideas and American values and contemporary America um, is flexible enough to allow individuals to identify threats for themselves, or perhaps to not even identify threats, but just feel this sort of latent sense of threat. Um, if you think about the, the more ideologically committed or developed members of the group, they would talk about things like gun control violating their core rights or um, any sort of medical martial law was the phrase they used a decade ago. You can imagine how upset they were um, about sure. government uh, efforts to mitigate problems related to the pandemic. So you can see people who, who will identify specific things as threatening their natural rights but Oath Keepers doesn't provide this very clear framework for how we should understand which rights deserve to be protected, possibly with the use of violence. Okay, Brett. One of the things that I find particularly concerning about um, the Oath Keepers is they seem to um, intentionally target people with uh, military or law enforcement background or current affiliation. Uh, can you talk to us a little about that? Yeah. So the founders of the organization were all uh, current or former military or law enforcement. And um, Stuart Rhodes was uh, an army paratrooper until he was injured during a training exercise. Um, and he says, that he and his friends decided to form the group because they wanted to encourage these people to honor the oaths that they took to, among other things, support and defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Um, some of this is, I think, an attempt by the group to reach out to populations that are widely um, revered within America. Um, Police, perhaps not so much these days that there's there's more debate around um, what police are and what kinds of levels of respect they deserve. But the military is is one thing that we don't really debate. Right. We all just kind of, yeah, military are good. Let's uh, thank a service member, all that kind of stuff. So if they're able to recruit from these ranks, then they perhaps gain some of the legitimacy that is afforded to law enforcement and to the military. Part of it is also a little bit more tactical, perhaps. If government tries to implement tyranny, if they try to, let's say, um, engage in door-to-door in -door confiscation of privately owned firearms, well, it's going to be members of law enforcement and the military who are carrying out those orders. So if Oath Keepers can reach those populations ahead of time and convince them that this is a real threat and that it's coming, well, then maybe Oath Keepers can convince these people to proactively decide that they're not going to carry out some orders because every one of every person in the military or law enforcement who's on their side, well, that's one less person with this military experience or paramilitary experience that they need to fight. If you actually want to think about who is in the group, unfortunately, we, we don't really know um, how much of the group has that military or law enforcement experience. 
We know that some of its members do have that experience. We know that some of its members don't, um, but we just don't know what the breakdown is. So, Sam, this might be another one of those questions that you can't answer. Uh, I was just wondering how Oath Keepers um, and, and other groups that are kind of in the same general category play out uh, in terms of women. Um, this this seems like an awfully stereotypic, pound-my-chest, male testosterone-laden sort of um, club but is that true or does does this appeal or have uh, any kind of broad-based appeal uh, with women as well there are certainly women who are oath keepers um, and women have played relatively prominent roles in um, some specific activities that oath keepers has engaged in um, whether we want to think about um, some of the folks affiliated with Oath Keepers who were involved in the January 6th insurrection or some of the previous activities that Oath Keepers have been involved in. In 2015, they had a so-called security operation in Southwest Oregon, and so much press came to cover this that they had a public information officer who was a woman who actually had no military or law enforcement experience that I could see. Um, she was the, the point of contact for that. What's interesting is that a lot of these groups, a lot of groups like Oath Keepers will explicitly refer to various ideas of masculinity or, or gender or gender roles or all of those things. And Oath Keepers is one of the rare groups that doesn't really do that. They don't talk about gender they don't talk about race except to deny that they're racist. Um, and, you know, you can imagine if you, if you sort of take a step back and, and think about who tends to show up at Oath Keepers groups, they are overwhelmingly white and male. Um, but again, if we think about demographics, we know that there are some members of the group who are minorities we don't know how many, but the group sure does love to promote them when those examples are relevant. Um, we know that there are women who are members who have even played prominent roles, but we don't know how much of the group is um, women or, or people of color or other minoritized groups. Okay, Rick, we have about two minutes left, um, so you get the last question, but make it a short one. Okay. I want to piggyback on your answer there. Do you have a socioeconomic profile of the rank and file, generally a picture of who they are socioeconomically? I don't. Um, I, I think there's uh, probably quite a bit of variation. Um, from, from what journalists have observed, it seems like Oath Keepers might skew a little bit older than some of the other groups in this space. Um, those who are serious about this often spend serious money on weapons and other uh, gear that you might refer to as tacti-cool, um, so like playing dress-up like special forces and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that, that paramilitary stuff doesn't come cheap. Um, on the other hand... We don't really know demographics, so we, we couldn't sort of break down um, who these people are specifically in terms of socioeconomic status and that sort of thing. Okay. It is customary that we give our guests the last word on our show. Sam, why do you think knowing about groups like the Oath Keepers is relevant in today's world? 
You know, that that's a, a question that, oddly enough, I might not be well suited to answer. I started studying Oath Keepers in 2014 or 2015, well before they were a household name. And my book on the organization actually came out in September of 2020, like once again, before they hit the news in, in really big ways. But I do think that groups like Oath Keepers have this way um, that I think is pernicious of tapping into American history and values to try to justify the goals and behavior that they engage in. And to me, it's really interesting to see this particular deployment of American history and values for um, in defense of things that are not part of the standard repertoire of American political behavior, most prominently, of course, being attacks against the federal government. Okay, um, I'm going to kind of add on that, and I may ask Brett to chime in too here for a second. Um, you know, I I think we have on this show done a, a number of shows in which uh, other right wing groups have attempted to use history going all the way back to the Vikings um, as as a means to legitimize uh, what would otherwise be considered sort of fringe elements or fringe ideas or fringe ideology. Yeah. And and it sounds to me like this is very much the same sort of thing um, that that these guys are doing. And and all of that is is uh concerning because it it adds the the appearance of legitimacy where legitimacy doesn't actually exist um but in a world in which everything is sort of a soundbite uh people don't often spend the time take the time uh to go looking at what's really going on and so you get away with uh with sort of selling a product um, kind of snake oil wise and in, instead of people knowing what it is that they're buying uh, Brett in about 45 seconds what do you think about that uh, I think this is something where it's easy to be flipping about it you know oh look at those overweight guys with their uh, vests that don't even cover um, their vitals <laughs> right up to the point that they're leading a mob uh, into Congress. Uh, and I think we ignore people like this at our peril. Um, I went to high school with a number of Bosnian refugees, and the most important lesson they ever taught me was when someone uh, threatens you with violence, take them seriously. Uh, and this is a group that uh, certainly deserves to be taken seriously and, and taken at their word, whether or not they're able to follow through on what they want to do, uh, their objectives are dangerous enough that they really do need to be um, monitored. All right. Well, on that note, when we come back, we're going to wrap things up. So please stay tuned. This is ROI on KLA St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, 
plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 472nd show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme. It was written and performed by Mark Sapsapital. My name is Jay Swords, and we've been talking to Dr. Sam Jackson, Assistant Professor in the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University of Albany. We've been talking about Oath Keepers, Patriotism, and the Edge of Violence in a Right-Wing Anti-Government Group. The History Buffs for today's show were Rick Sweet and Brett Menard. This is RY, Relevant or Irrelevant, on KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all of our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotsa Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. Good night.